the airmen would load us in a plane, okay. fly us over. Yeah. They didn't even have the courtesy to land. No. They'd just kick us out, yeah. and then they'd go back for lobster dinner. Yeah. <laughs> he used to be six foot four, but his chute didn't open. Just once. Just once. We call that a lawn dart. A lawn dart. Any other soldiers in the room? Any other soldiers in the room? Oh, yeah. Now, let's not be misunderstood. And I don't mean to be a cliche or a pun or anything like that. But if you don't view yourself as a soldier, you're not reading your Bible. Do not let, do not let progressive Christianity, cultural Christianity, traditional Christianity... Don't let a godless nation or politician or entertainer tell you what you are. Let the Bible define it. And the Bible defines what we are as image bearers of Christ, Genesis 2, and soldiers. He is seeking not just worshipers, but warriors. Father, I pray that you would help us here tonight. And dear God, I am so insufficient for this task. And I ask, dear Lord, that you would help me. Father, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. And Father, that you would walk through the aisles of these pews and prick the hearts of these men. Lord, this is your church, and you are our God. And I just pray that you'd speak to us here tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, if you had any idea the things that are swirling in my heart right now, it's hard to go from high to what is inside of me right now. A tremendous tremendous privilege and it is a tremendous privilege to be before you today had the opportunity to shake hands and and greet and fellowship with a with a number of you and and it is an honor to be in front of you and I can pretty well guarantee without any hesitation or reservation any of you should probably be up here instead and I'm not saying that as some false sense of humility. I'm saying that because it is absolutely true. I'm a 40-year-old almost. Hi, man. I'm a 40-year-old, pasty, white, scrawny kid. On this side of the podium, I'm not sure. But it had a whole lot to do with training. I'd, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would please, for just a moment. And I would like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter number 3. Now we're going to come to Proverbs chapter 22 and here in just a moment. And, and maybe I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag too early, but I I can't help because I'll tell you, this is where my heart is. My heart right now in my life, in my ministry, 
And as I stand behind this podium tonight is is in Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah is an interesting book because, and, and Lord, Lord willing, if he grants me the liberty here while we come to our service, we're going to come back to Isaiah for just a brief moment, but in, in chapter 6. Isaiah is a book where you see the glory of God. I mean, you see him high and lifted up. You see his train that fills the temple. You see the seraphims swarming about his throne with, with six wings. And you know the passage, with twain they come. With twain they covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. And in the presence of God, their song is Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. My word, I love glimpses of his glory. But in Isaiah chapter 3, it's no time for rejoicing, it's time for judgment. Judgment. I want to say this briefly. Do you need? Your mic's cutting a little bit, so if you want. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this does this work? Okay. Sound man, I'll just warn you. I have killed so many mics in my brief tenure. I get a little passionate about things sometimes, and this is one of them. This is one of them. And I tell you. In, in Isaiah chapter 3, the reason that we have our Bibles open here right now is because this is where my heart is. Because when God brought judgment to Israel, He did two things. Well, He did three things primarily. Here they are. Isaiah chapter 3, verse number 1. He says, For behold, the Lord... The Lord of hosts does take away from Jerusalem and Judah. And you're going to find three things that the Lord takes away from Jerusalem and Judah when he brings judgment. The first one is this. The Bible says that he doth take away from Jerusalem and Judah the stay, that's the first thing, and the staff, that's the second thing. Now, he describes the stay in two different ways at the close of the verse. The whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. When he says the stay and the staff, it's really a, a, a cultural idiom. And this cultural idiom is, is not really meant to be understood necessarily in a literal sense, although there is a literal nature to it. For the stay was the provision. And, and, and we see a similar thing in Psalm 23 when the psalmist is talking about, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And you remember what he alludes to, his rod and his staff. What's that talking about? It's talking about the same idiomatic expression here, the stay and the staff, the rod and the staff. And on one side, there is a staff, if you will, or a rod that is there for the purpose of provision. In Isaiah chapter 3, verse number 1, the provision expressly is defined as the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. In other words, when God is bringing judgment to the nation, the first thing is he does is he takes away its provision. The next thing he does... He takes away its protection, the stay in the staff, provision and protection. But I want you to notice very carefully the third thing he does. The third thing that God tends to do whenever he brings judgment upon a nation is take away its strong men. 
You know, we think that this attack on masculinity, attack on manhood, attack on a biblical identity between genders. We think that this is some, you know, newfangled thing in this progressive movement. It's not. Isaiah is warning Israel that, that this is a method of God's judgment. You say, well, Pastor Jared, where do you get that? We see the, the stay and the staff in verse number one, and, and we see that he's taking those things away. But where do you get taking away the strong men? Look at verse number two. Verse number two, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to, to define each of these men because I really have a desire to get to Proverbs chapter 22. But when I, I look to, to verse number two of chapter three, he's going to go through a list of, of men. And it's a description of, of men that have certain strengths within them. For instance, the very first one, the mighty man, the mighty man, the next one, the man of war. The next one, the prophet, the prudent, the ancient, there is the wise man, the captain of, captain of 50, there is the man skilled with administration and leadership, and the, and the honorable man, there is the man that has integrity regardless of what the situation or the circumstances might be. The counselor, there's the wise man, the one that you go to whenever you don't know what to do, the man that has enough strength to see beyond all of the personal inhibitions and the culture and to have a godly wisdom and counsel about him and the cunning artificer. Now, uh, this is not a typical way that we describe things. Um, I don't know if there's any cunning artificers out there here today, but it's really just describing the men who build things. The artificer uh, describes those trades and those skills, those craftsmen, those carpenters, those masons that can take raw material and by their strength and knowledge, put them together and build things that previously did not exist. And when God brings judgment on a nation, he will remove those men that can take raw materials and build things that previously did not exist. Let me give you a warning. These men are disappearing in our churches. The cunning artificer, the cunning man that could, with his own hands, build things and contribute to the work. When I look beyond, uh, when I look into this passage, I'm wondering in our churches, where are the captain of 50s and where are the honorable men and where are the counselors and, and, and where are those mighty men and where is the man of war and where is the judge and where is the prophet and where is the prudent and where is the ancient? Where are these men? Some of you are right here. Some of you are right here. But let me tell you, those of you that are right here, and this is why I say that it should be you behind this, this podium and not me, and this is what gives me great concern, is that you will not always be here. And when you're gone, who will stand? When you're gone, who will be the ancient? When you're gone, who will be the prophet? When you're gone, who will be the artificer? When you are gone, who will be the prudent? Who will be the judge? Who will be the mighty man? Who will be the man of war? Because if progressive Christianity gets to define what tomorrow's church looks like, all of these men, not some of them, but all of them are gone. 
And how do they get that way? And this is the point, and this is the message. I'll tell you how they get that way. They get that way because we don't look at the young men that are in that other room that I just left. We don't look at that other room and train them. Now, just as as quickly as you can, and I know everybody in this room is is familiar with this verse, but I want to look at this verse for just a moment. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Some of you are probably already able to quote this. Some of you, perhaps, you've got it uh, posted as a plaque in your wall. You've memorized it. You've studied over it. And I'm not going to tell you anything new that you have not heard today. That I will promise you. But it is my desire that by the end of this that we will have a renewed passion to do the work. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number, uh, verse number 6 simply says this, to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, here's a distinction that I want to make about that verse as we uh, keep in mind that we need to not raise, we don't need to raise boys. The, the world has enough boys. In fact, I, I just finished when I left the other room, the, the topic at hand was, sim- was a simple question, are you a man? I, I asked him, if you are a man, stand up, 25 or younger now. How many of you would guess, how many of you would say that 50% of the room stood up? Yeah, they did. (laughs) They did. It was a little bit more. And how many of you would say, no. No, they're not men yet. But they need to become men. And that happens by training. By training. Now, I want to make a distinction here, and and this is something that was so helpful to me because when I look at this verse, I see a very specific word that's being used. And that word is this, to train up a child in the way he should go. Here's the distinction. We have become very good at telling up a child in the way he should go. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I mean, I I don't know how things were when when you were a child, especially at church, but I heard a lot of pastors tell me the way that I should go. Bless God, you better open that King James Bible. Well, bless God, you better stick to the old paths. Well, bless God, you better have sanctified music there in your church. Well, bless God, you better end your prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And bless God, you better put your jacket on and you better open the Bible and you better wear a tie. By the way, I'm not against wearing a tie. I would have a tie on, but Brother Al Stone said, oh, it's casual, casual Fridays. <laughs> but telling, telling isn't training. The telling is needed. Telling is, is the information that we need at hand and, and to, to be able to communicate that. But, but we need to take things up a, a couple levels from telling. And you might say, well, well, the next level up from telling is that we give understanding. However, that's a different word altogether too. For the Bible does not say tell up a child, nor does it say teach up a child. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we need to have a ministry of teaching. Uh, Jesus Christ himself, when giving the great commission, said that we should teach all nations, right? 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. There needs to be a ministry of teaching in the church. And I would have to say that I'm encouraged by this, Brother Stone, because there seems to be a resurgence, a revival of Bible teaching right now in America and right now in this generation, my generation and and the ones that are just a bit older than me. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because they grew up being told and they had to go back and learn it for themselves. And, and God bless you men that are discipling young men and not just telling them what to do, but teaching them why. Why do we stick with this Bible? Why do we sing the songs that we sing? Friends, let's not be afraid of those questions. I thank the Lord for the pastor who took the time for this young, rebellious kid when I came asking questions. He didn't yell at me. He didn't cast me out. He didn't call me names. He didn't say, get out of here, you liberal. Instead, he said, sit down and let's open our Bibles and just see what God has to say. And I'm so thankful for the men of God that taught me his word. I wouldn't be here without him. But even with that, the Bible doesn't say, teach up a child. It says train. It says train. I want to give you three things just quickly about training. It's three things because I'm a Baptist preacher and everything has to be in threes. Right? Yeah. Three persons in the Trinity. Three meals in a day. Amen. If you don't count all the other times you eat in between. So you all think, Man, this, this scrawny little guy, like, does he eat? Oh, yes, I eat. I will challenge you to a competition. I am really good at putting away the food. But let me tell you that when I showed up in the United States Army, yeah, there was a whole lot of telling. I will not share the words that I was told. (laughs) It would not be appropriate for anyone in here. There's a fair amount of teaching. But they were very clear with me that I was there for one purpose and one purpose only, to be trained. Let me tell you the first thing about training. Someone has got to do it. Someone's got to do it. They have a whole training regiment there at, at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I showed up for basic training. And let me tell you, they were proficient at their task and they knew their job. In fact, they knew their job and their role so well that if someone else tried to take the training role that was rightfully belonging to the guy in the round hat that we call a drill sergeant, looks kind of like your Mountie hat. Um, yeah, we, if, if someone tried to infringe on their responsibility, they would give that individual a swift kick to the behind because that was their job to train. They took ownership of it. And someone, someone has got to take ownership of training that room over there. 
Someone's got to do it because there are men that are falling through the cracks. Young men that just don't know any better, haven't been trained, haven't been taught. They haven't been mentored. God bless um, Brother Skelly as I heard the closing words of, of what he was saying and what he was talking about. I mean, he's got a great heart to, to train young men. I'm thankful for what they're doing at the Bible college that he's working with because the desire is to train young men. And let me just be frank with you. If you're not doing it, someone else will. We cannot run the risk of letting YouTube train our young men. I tell you, one of the one of the things that I was greatly concerned about during COVID was who my young men were listening to. I mean, some people thought thought it was great. Like, oh yeah, you know, I'll listen to all these great preachers, and like. Like little kids with itching ears, they fall under these, these preachers that are leading them astray. I was greatly concerned about who my young men were listening to. Let me tell you why I was current concerned. Because God gave them to me. And don't get me wrong, I, they are the Lord's. Even as my own children, I believe that children are a heritage of the Lord. But I'm telling you, if you've got young men in your church, take that as a providential gift of responsibility to you. And it is your responsibility to train these men. The first principle of training is that someone has got to do it. You can't expect the trainee to come up to you and say, well, you train me. I just don't know what to do. No, you're the leader, so lead. You're the one that God has, 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 has given you the opportunity, the blessing with these men. Let's not let it slip through the cracks. If you've got to take a, a preacher's boy, boy class on Sunday afternoon and pour yourself into them. And let me tell you, if that means that, that even the message on Sunday night might suffer a little bit because you had to pour so much energy into those young men, then at least the next generation will have someone preaching on Sunday night. We have got to pay the price of training these young men. By the way, I am thankful for Bible colleges, but I never find anywhere in the Bible where it says, oh, trust a Bible college to train these young men. No, it's the local church. I went to Bible college. I'm grateful for it. Our young men attend Bible college, but I don't let that be an excuse for me not to be busy about training. You know, there's a saying that, um, that I heard once, and it's just always stuck with me. When in charge, take charge. Some of us, we just need to remember that we didn't choose this. We didn't choose the children that God gave us. And you know they didn't choose you. <laughs> We didn't choose this calling. There are certain providential opportunities that God has given you that we need to stop seeing as opportunities and start seeing as responsibilities. Someone's got to do this. 
Who's it going to be? The second principle is so close in nature to the first. This is one of the differences between teaching and training. In teaching, there's an intellectual understanding about something, but there's no real example in front of them. In order to effectively train, it requires an example. The goal is not that the, that the young men that are in our churches or in our families, the goal is, is not to keep them under our authority, so to speak. The goal is to do the same thing that Jesus did with the disciples. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so now send I you. We can't send these men out unprepared. They need to see an example. It's the difference between teaching and training. Training just, teaching provides, you know, nice illustrations sometimes, but training puts flesh and blood, puts failure and success right in front of them, puts honesty and integrity right in front of them. Our young men need to see the struggles that a pastor goes through sometimes. Our young men need fathers that are honest about how to deal with sin and temptation. Look, one of the most uh, one of the most frightful things I ever did was start showing men how I prepare to preach because I tell you, it's a disaster. It's a mess. I, I would be embarrassed even to tell you now some of the things that I do in preparation because you'd sit back and say, that's dumb. <laughs> like maybe it is. But our young men need to see that it's not all unicorns and rainbows and that sometimes men struggle and sometimes men grieve and sometimes men fail, but they need to see that even though a righteous man falleth, he riseth up again. And our young men need examples, examples of men with tenacity, examples of the men that Israel was deprived of in Isaiah chapter three. Our young men need to see mighty men, men of war, men of good judgment, ancient men, counselors, one of, the, one of the most damaging things I think we've done at times if we segmented our churches off far too much by age group. Now, I'm not against having, you know, a kindergarten through first grade class and second through third grade class, but we need to get our young men with some of our ancient men so that the wisdom rubs off and they have an example in front of them. We're not talking about teaching a young generation. We're talking about training them and training requires an example. I've got six minutes before they fire me. <laughs> Training with cars. One more thing. Opportunity. Opportunity. Let me just run a scenario by you. So in, in 2004, um, I got orders for Iraq. We all meet at Fort Bragg and do a great deal of training and get on a plane and fly over to Frankfurt, Germany, and then we fly from there to Kuwait, and we're about three kilometers. I can say kilometers, and you all actually understand what it means. I like this. Yeah, that's military language to me. Meters, I know what that is. You're going to go home tonight? Honey, you won't believe what we saw. Oh, how was the men's meeting? Oh, it was good, but let me tell you something shocking. I met an American that knows the metric system. <laughs> Woo. 
was about three clicks off the Iraqi border. Do y'all call them clicks? All right. Yes, this is great. I love Canada. And uh, they decided we're not going to go in with the land force. We're going we're gonna to go in right there to the airport. So they put us on a plane. We fly in. Um, crazy thing. Because of the, the perimeter there at the airport, they have all kinds of rockets and, and anti-aircraft. But it you know, had been secured. You know, we were coming in after invasion force. So um, what the planes would do, though, instead of having a low approach, you know, like at the nice airport, because um, that would expose you to anti-aircraft, they'd, they'd send you high up in the sky. And then that C-130 would bank its wings and spiral down until it got right over the airport and then, you know, flatten out and touchdown. And, man, you felt like you were just, like, glued to the side of that plane when that thing's spiraling down. It was so much fun. But could I just run a scenario by it? Let's just say, you know, I just graduated high school and the army threw a book at me and said, here, read all this. Okay, this, this, is a, this is a book about your weapon and you know, how many rounds it'll hold, its effective range for a point target, the effective range for an area target. Be sure you go over to chapter number three and you read that portion on, you know, like assaulting a machine gun nest because that might be important, you know. Um, run in three-second intervals and then get down and do it in alternating ways so that the machine gunner's got to choose your buddy or you. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and then let's just say they did a couple demonstrations, you know, see how all these guys do it, and like, oh, okay, so that's how you, you know, so that's how you shoot an M4 and hit a point target at 300 meters. Oh, that looks cool. You squeeze that little dangly thing right in front of the handle. Okay. And then they put you on the plane and spiral you down into Baghdad. Said, all right, now go do it. That would be dumb. Training involves opportunity. I couldn't tell you how many rounds I put through the barrel of a rifle before I actually before it actually really mattered. I can't tell you how many times we we practiced putting IVs in until it actually mattered. We got a bunch of young men out here. I'm not trying to be over dramatic or anything, but one day this pulpit is going to be empty behind it. These young men can't afford to be untrained when it actually matters. And friends, that day is coming. It's not if, it's when. If the Lord tarries, it's when. We have got to start training these men. We've got to give them opportunity. Now, opportunity means that they're going to fail. And when they do, we do the same thing for them that we wish someone had done for us. We pick them up. We explain what went wrong, what they need to do to keep themselves from failure. Put the sword back in their hand, sharpen it up a little bit, and then easily help them back out. Give them opportunity. 
Let them start knocking on some doors. And yeah, they're going to stumble over their words and they might uh, get some things wrong and they might get embarrassed and they might uh, be fearful. And you just explain to them, hey, I was embarrassed and I'm fearful and sometimes I stumble over my words too, but let's knock on another one. Let's knock on another one. Oh, I'm afraid to knock on a door. Don't make them feel bad. Put a track in their hand and say, tell you what, I'm going to knock on the door. You hand them the track and then I'll take it from there. Let them, let them work their way up. You know what I like doing with my little girls? Oh, I'm telling you, I never get a door slammed in my face because I take a five-year-old. You can't slam the door in a five-year-old girl's face. I knock on the door. Hi, my name's Pastor Jared, but this is Ava Shoemate. Ava, do you have something to give her? And Ava goes, here you go. And then Ava's got her little Bible verse ready to go. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they're like, oh, you are so cute. Won't you come in? And here I am coming in with her. Hello. But you know what I'm doing? You know what we're doing? We're training. We're training. We're training. Because one day that five-year-old girl is going to be 15. And one day that 15-year-old girl is going to be 30. And she needs to be prepared. We need godly women. We need godly men. We need pastors. We need missionaries. We need evangelists. And all of those people, the godly women, the godly men, the missionaries, the evangelists, the pastors, where are they? They're in that room right now. And they need trained. They need trained. And that means somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And it's going to take an example. You're going to have to be willing to admit the fact that you're not perfect and let them see that you're not perfect. It'll help them know they don't have to be perfect too. It's going to take an example. And it's going to take opportunity. What an incredible responsibility God has given the soldiers of this generation concerning the soldiers of the next. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you would do things beyond my word's ability. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, that you would raise up an army for the gospel and use these men to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.